uh, we started with the Lord's Prayer, or we covered the Lord's Prayer last week. And during the Lord's Prayer, or after in the, in the chat session, somebody asked the question, why are there different endings to the Lord's Prayer? If you look at Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, or Matthew ends the prayer with, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Luke doesn't get to the, the end of the passage. I'm just going to have to pause here. It looks like we're having a bit of technical difficulties. Give me one moment to just uh, correct this. Test one, two, three. Okay, good. Looks like we have that. So Luke uh, does not end in the same place. If we look at the Lord's Prayer here, he gets down to deliver us from the evil one. And as he gets there, he breaks off from the prayer and provides us with Jesus' commentary on that line. Deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Matthew finishes the passage, and then he focuses on Christ's commentary on forgiveness, how important it is for us to forgive one another, and then the commentary that Christ gave on fasting, on how important it is for us to fast often, and how to fast. So, why the difference? Well, remember that Luke is what is writing two volumes to Theophilus. So he's establishing the foundation of his message in the gospel and the ministry of Christ. And then he's going to write about the apostles and how the Holy Spirit is working with the apostles in his second volume. And so Theophilus, as he's reading this, it'll all make sense. It'll be cohesive. So here, deliver us from the evil one is where uh, Luke then integrates in uh, Christ's commentary on what that means. And so Christ here says, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now, uh, we saw that the reason that we must pray was in Luke 10, where we saw that the laborers are few, uh, and so we have to go to the Lord of the harvest to ask for more laborers. And then he says in verse 3 of chapter 10 that he's sending us out as lambs among wolves. And that is the key verse that we have to understand in understanding the Lord's Prayer. We are defenseless. We are lambs and we're going in among wolves. So this is the key. These, these wolves are, are not going to be uh, friendly to us. And we don't have any defense except the Lord. And, and people, if they understand what this mission is and how dangerous it is, they're not going to volunteer for it. They're going to back out. And so this is a Holy Spirit work. And so we have to be praying to the Lord of the harvest to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can do this ministry. And that's what Luke is establishing here. And that's what he's going to show in his second volume, in the volume of Acts, where where Theophilus will see, and, and us by extension, will see very clearly how this prayer is answered. And how the Holy Spirit is given to the servants of God so that they can, as lambs, go among wolves and preach this gospel message of the coming kingdom. So he says now, Christ says, um, a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. So I'm knocking on my neighbor's door. I'm asking for him to give me some bread. Why? This is critical as well. Because a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. I'm not banging on my neighbor's door for myself. I'm banging on his door on behalf of someone else. I have a guest. I have someone coming to me who I want to look after. And that's why I'm, I'm asking for help. 
So it's not, it's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer on behalf of someone else. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, so really the friend who's come are the more laborers. We have to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest, to be these lambs among wolves. And I have nothing to give these fellow laborers. So I'm coming to my neighbor, I'm coming to God, and I'm asking him for the Holy Spirit to give to my guest, the fellow laborer who's now come into this ministry, so that he too or she too can be as a lamb among wolves. But if the neighbor says, don't trouble me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you, I say to you, Though this person who obviously has poor character, he's not, he, he doesn't care about others, uh, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, so that's not why he would, you know, the friendship wasn't enough, but because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs. So what Christ is saying is, even with somebody of bad character, if you are persistent and you just keep knock, knocking on the door and asking and asking, even though the friendship wasn't enough to cut it, your persistence is what will cause this person to get out of bed and give you whatever you need so that they can have peace. And so Christ is, is giving this commentary to say, he, God will deliver us from evil. And we have to pray for the Holy Spirit in order to be delivered from evil. But we're not praying for the Holy Spirit for ourselves. We're praying it for the... We're, we have to pray for God to send more laborers to help us reap this harvest. And as he sends more laborers, we then have to pray for the Holy Spirit for them so that they too can be successful in fulfilling this ministry. And, and if, if we were calling on somebody of poor character, just through our persistence, we could get what we want. So Christ is making the argument that guaranteed, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you'll receive it. And you're asking on behalf of your fellow ministry. So just be persistent, because even if, even if God had bad character, he would answer. But we know that God doesn't have the bad character, so certainly, most certainly, he will answer. So I say to you, ask for the Holy Spirit, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find it. Knock, and the door will be open, and the, the person will come down and give you what you want. For everyone, not, not a few, everyone who asks the Father receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Look, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? Instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is taking us right back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, where we're to pray for God to send more laborers into the harvest. They're going to need the Holy Spirit because we're going to be sent as lambs among wolves. And we have to understand God's nature and understand that he will give us this Holy Spirit when we ask for it. We also need to understand... When, when Christ is saying, if we're evil and our son asks us for a fish, will we give him a serpent? We have to understand that things are not as they appear. So we're, we're lambs being sent among wolves. What that means is 
some of us will be slaughtered. All, all, all of these disciples, these, the, the 12 apostles, uh, except for John, all of them were martyred because they were lambs among wolves. So how is it then that we ask God for a fish and he gives us martyrdom? How, how can this be? Is, uh, is God evil? And Christ is trying to help us to understand this is a battle of kingdoms. The kingdom of God has come and it is vanquishing the kingdom of Satan. But it's vanquishing the kingdom of Satan. It's conquering the kingdom of Satan in a very paradoxical way. Every kingdom of man conquers through force. The kingdom of God conquers Satan through love. And we are being recruited to join Christ in this mission of loving. And in the process, serpents, vipers, wolves, lions are going to tear at us. And God is our father. And we have to understand he's not evil. God is not evil. And this, this, this evil that has come upon us, it's not the end of the story. And so we're, we're praying for deliverance from the evil one. We're praying for deliverance from his kingdom. We're not praying for deliverance from inconvenience. Look, look what the scripture says. Let's, let's read on here. <clears throat> John 16, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that, John 16 and verse 1, These things I've spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. Something's going to happen, and many people are going to stumble, but Christ is telling us what's going to happen ahead of time, so that we don't stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. So people are going to be thinking they're serving God. They have a different doctrine in their head. They're going to be thinking that they're serving God while they're killing us. When this happens, we've been asking God to give us the Holy Spirit. We are asking for this good thing, the Holy Spirit, and some of us are being slaughtered. We asked for a fish... Has God given us a serpent? Well, no. We know how the book ends. So God has not given us a serpent. He's given us what we've asked for. It's a good thing that he's given us this Holy Spirit. We have to understand how the book ends. And so we see here in John 16, and and you'll also bear in mind, well, here in Acts 4, again, remember that uh, Luke is writing two volumes. He's writing... Uh, volume 1 that we're reading but also volume 2 and look in volume 2 you'll see that um, the disciples they called the the Pharisees called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus and these disciples understood that these were serpents these were children of the devil commanding them not to preach the gospel of Christ and they stood, they, they stood their ground, and they preached the gospel of Christ, and it cost them their lives. And here we see Christ did the same thing. And being found in the appearance of a man, Philippians 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. God is his father, and God allowed him to be slaughtered, even the death of the cross. Did God give him a serpent? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And God is going to give us a new name with Christ. We will reign with Christ. We will be glorified with Christ if we are willing to suffer with him. 
So suffering the bites of a viper, suffering the bites and the, the, the tearing of wolves, this is the suffering of Christ. And this is not what we're asking to avoid. What we're asking to avoid is being engulfed by the kingdom of Satan. When Christ said to Peter, Peter, Satan has, has asked for you, but I've prayed for you. And when you are strengthened, strengthen your, the faith of your brethren. So this, we have to have a bigger picture than our immediate convenience. And so remember in Revelation 20, uh, John saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. They're going to judge with Christ. We are going to judge with Christ. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast nor his image. And so you can see here that suffering is not what we're trying to avoid. What we want to avoid and what we're asking the Holy Spirit for is faithfulness to Christ, that we will preach the gospel of Christ, and we will be in his kingdom. And, and the suffering, this is, we have to, this is not a serpent. We've asked for something good, the Holy Spirit. God has given it to us, and this is the beginning of the birthing process, and we will be born into the kingdom of God. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is so important. Now, I did talk uh, last week as well about how this Lord's Prayer was banned 29 years ago in Ontario. A, a, a Muslim, a Jew, and an atheist objected to the Lord's Prayer being read in schools, and so we took it out of the schools. Now, almost 30 years later, we are, are these same um, administrators who took the Lord's Prayer out of school, they're now fighting to have Muslim prayers in school. And I want to show you what our children are being presented with. What's that? You hear it? Yes. That's the Adhan, the call for prayer. That means it's going to be time for prayer soon. I'm going to need to go and pray. Ooh, why do you pray? I am a Muslim. My religion is Islam, and being a Muslim means I pray five times a day. Okay, so what's Islam all about then? Well, Muslims believe that there is only one God. The name of God in Arabic is Allah. He is the creator of everything. God created the moon, the sun. It was very nice of you to tell me about your religion, Islam. Not a problem. You can ask me anything, anytime. But right now, I need to go for my midday prayer. Okay, see you later. Okay, bye. Would you like to come and see how I pray? Okay, sure. Children are being indoctrinated in our schools now with Islam. They are being taught how to pray to Allah. It should be very clear to us that Allah is Satan. And our children are being taught to bow down to Satan. And we have this prophecy that says how households will be divided. How, how sons are going to kill fathers, fathers are going to kill their, their children, mothers against daughters, daughters against... What is the doctrine that is going to get into the minds of these children that is going to corrupt them like this? 
and, and Islam is very, it doesn't teach them to honor their parents. If their parents are infidels, it teaches them to kill their parents. And this is happening, and we have to stand up against this. Listen to this. A young woman um, decided to send me a message. She is from Canada. Apparently, there's a lot going on, um, and it's being flown under the radar. The, um, the cops are completely ignoring it, and the media won't report on it. Instead, they're going over... Um, this invasion of Muslims that they now have in Canada. Um, and for those of you that know me, you know that I get quite a bit of messages um, regarding stuff like this, just to bring attention to it. So I'm going to read you guys the message that um, was sent to me last night. The message said, Gina, I know you don't know me, and I don't normally talk to people I don't know, but in Canada we have experienced a lot of sexual assaults on our little girls. I'm crying. I'm so sorry. But nobody cares. The media reports very little on it. These illegals are hurting our kids, Gina. I'm scared. I'm a mom. Our prime minister doesn't represent us. Little girls are being choked with chains, being sexually assaulted at a school dance, being sexually assaulted at a pool in Lethbridge, Alberta, being raped and nobody cares. The media won't say that these girls are being victimized by immigrants. I need your help. Our prime minister doesn't care about us. Please help us. And then she went on to send me another message that said, and six girls were sexually assaulted yesterday morning in Edmonton. Can you please spread the word for us Canadians who have no voice, please? I'm sorry if I bother you. I just feel helpless here, is what she said. Then she went on to tell me, you have no idea. I'm bawling every day here. <clears throat> These are my people. These are our little girls, Gina, and they're being abused and nobody cares. No media, only the rebel media reports the truth. Fox News responded uh, reported something the other day, and our prime minister demanded, demanded that Fox News take it down. There is some sort of strange collusion between leftist governments and Islam. And for the most part in Western civilization today, the left has won. And the left, ultimately, they are Marxists. And Marxists want totalitarian control over mankind. They want global totalitarian control. And so does Islam. They both want the same thing. And each one is using the other, thinking that when they're done, they'll just discard them. And in my opinion, the left is making a big mistake. Communism, which is ultimately what the left is all about, is very powerful. And when Lenin introduced it and Stalin executed it uh, tremendously, uh, they had complete control over mankind. They governed every aspect of human lives. And tens of millions, 60 million people, were slaughtered, and tens of millions were in concentration camps. And I've just started reading this book and studying this man, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, tremendous hero, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago uh, about the concentration camps. And through his writing, this single man brought down communism because he exposed what was going on behind the Iron Curtain. Nobody knew. And, and if you ever wrote anything down, you'd be slaughtered. And so what he did was he just memorized the testimonies of all the prisoners. And he had eight, over you know, 800 pages memorized. 
And as soon as he got out, he started to write and, and just um, secretly export his, his writings until he could consolidate them and write this book. It's, it's huge. It's a huge volume. But we need to read, and we need to understand the past in order to understand the future. And this man stood up. And, and the theme of the book really is this. It's they, all the prisoners were saying, we should have stood up. And you know who the prisoners were? They were professionals. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They were business people. They were professional people who were rounded up and put in concentration camps. This is how the devil works. It's the same devil. It's the same human beings. And we might think we're in really professional jobs and we're all fine. But once totalitarian gets, totalitarianism gets its hold, we are, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. In fact, they had actual criminals who were in charge of the professionals. And so if you were a professional, you were at the lowest rung in these concentration camps. So, you know, we have a problem here. And, and we have to understand this, this, this collusion between the cultural Marxists and, the, and Islam. And I, I gave a sermon some, uh, about a month ago called Searching for Patient Zero. And if you don't understand what cultural Marxism is, I'm going to post the uh, link to this sermon in the chat and on Facebook. Uh, and again, if you're watching the replay of this, you can email me, adrian at cgiburlington.org. We have to understand cultural Marxism in order to understand why Islam is getting a free pass in our, in our country. What is going on? There is a collusion, and we need to understand why, and it has everything to do with, with communism with cultural Marxism, as opposed to economic Marxism. And, and make no mistake, Islam is dangerous. Why is it that all over the world we're seeing people suffering under the brutal hand of Islam? Here, here you see this, uh, this um, Egypt, in Egypt, uh, a Christian woman being harassed and, and almost slaughtered simply because she didn't accept the advances of uh, a Muslim man who has the right to do whatever he wants with her because she's an infidel, apparently, to him. Here in Detroit, uh, we see a Muslim. Uh, where are they getting these ideas from? Who wants to skin his victims like sheep? And you see him holding up the ISIS finger to say there's no God except Allah, which is we know is Satan, and Muhammad is his prophet. So that's he's clearly... Where are these Muslims getting these ideas? Oh, I thought Islam was a peaceful religion. Really? Why did you think that? Where, where, where did you get that from? So, you know, we think that people have ideas. It's not true. What Carl Jung said is, uh, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. Ideas possess people. So we need to understand, where are these ideas coming from? We need to read. We need to read the words on the page because these are the ideas that are preserved from generation to generation and these are the ideas that possess people. And we took the ideas of the Bible out of school and now we're putting the ideas of the Quran into school. Well, shouldn't we study these books to see how these ideas are going to possess our children? And when they start engaging in honor killing and, and, and killing for the sake of Allah, killing their own parents for the sake of Allah, who do we have to blame? We, we gave them the Quran and we didn't read it. We had no idea what ideas were taking hold of them. We have to stand up. And the, the lesson of the Gulag Archipelago is, oh, we should have stood up. If only we stood up. When, when we had a chance, we should have stood up. And so now we have M103 passed in Canada. This is totalitarianism. Totalitarians cannot debate because their ideas are flawed. 
in debate will tear their ideas apart. And so they shut down debate. That's why our Prime Minister doesn't want to be uh, speaking to the opposition every day in Parliament. He wants to limit debate. That's why they're limiting, when they pass a bill, how, they're putting a time limit on how long it can be debated. People who want total, total control do not want debate. And it, the onus is on us to stand up when we can. And this is why we have to pray for the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we'll be fearful. And so let's continue now in this passage where we see... <clears throat> We just have here that the days when the bridegroom is taken away, he's taken away from us. We're going to have to fast. And that's why you see in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, Christ explains the importance of fasting so that we can receive the Holy Spirit and our fellow laborers can receive the Holy Spirit and we can be these lambs like Christ who preach the truth no matter what. We stand up for the truth. These are great ideas in the Bible. If we give our kids the Bible, they will honor their parents. If we give them the Koran and their parents don't convert to Islam, they will slaughter their parents. So it's up to us. Now, after this Lord's Prayer, Christ was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. So Christ took the demon out of the man, and then the man could speak. And the multitudes marveled. But look at this. Some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub the ruler of the demons. So they're saying that, yes, okay, clearly he has supernatural power. This supernatural power is coming from the the, the chief devil, Satan himself. Others testing him. This is a strange man. He has some kind of uh, clearly supernatural power. They sought from him a sign from heaven. So they want to see, like, prove to us that you are, in fact, uh, from heaven. But he... Knowing their thoughts, this is what he said to them. Every kingdom divided against itself, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against itself, and, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So, so this is a really interesting argument that Christ is making to them. They're saying, oh, your power is coming from the chief of devils. And so Christ is saying, wait a minute. If a kingdom is divided, it's going to fall. Christ recognizes and wants them to recognize that Satan has a kingdom. Now, again, I'm just studying the, the Google Archipelago. Uh, when the Nazis came against the communists, that was a brutal battle. And, you might, and tons of lives were lost. And you might say, look, that's, that would be Satan's kingdom divided against itself, but it's not. That's just human beings slaughtering each other. Human beings made in the image of God, having no regard for the image of God, just slaughtering each other. And that's how Satan's kingdoms uh, transfer power from one kingdom to the other. Satan loves it when we slaughter each other. And in order to slaughter each other, we need some sort of doctrine that tells us that the other is evil. Whereas we saw in the Lord's Prayer, we forgive others uh, because we want God to forgive us. So the same way we're forgiven, we carte blanche, we forgive everyone. Because we, we just see them as flawed human beings like us. The battle is not against human beings. And so when Christ says the kingdom is divided, it's not the human beings that, that he's talking about. It's the spiritual kingdom. And Christ, when we saw in Luke 4 when he quoted Isaiah 61 as the Isianic servant, the humble servant, 
that what he did in order to give a, a prelude, a, a taste, a preview of the kingdom of God, he's releasing people from Satan's power. He's healing them. He's comforting them. So the affliction that Satan wants to cast upon human beings, Christ is healing them. And this is the key to understanding whether or not somebody truly represents God. Show us the good that you're doing for, God, for men made in God's image. Or are you just causing them to be put to death and slaughtered and tortured? Then you're from the devil. So Christ is showing now, uh, Satan is losing control. He, he had this man bound. He was possessed and he couldn't speak. He, even though as a human being he wants to speak, he was unable to. And Christ came as the humble servant and released him from that bondage. This is what it means that, the, that this, there's no way that he could represent Satan because he's taking Satan's power away from him. He's showing us that Satan has been defeated. Look how he goes on. He, he goes on with this. It, go, it goes further. He says, um, because, so if Satan also is divided against himself, this is at the spiritual level. If Satan is divided against, not, not at the human level, where people are fighting each other, at the spiritual level, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So, so Christ is taking people away from Satan's power because, because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. This is the, um, I think, the Canaanite way of saying the chief of devils. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? So remember that Christ uh, magnified his ministry by giving this power to another 70 of his disciples. And they came back rejoicing that they were able to cast out demons. So everybody could see what was going on. And these are some of their sons. So by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely, surely, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So, so this is clearly telling us that uh, because Christ is able to take uh, this, this powerful demonic uh, source and, and uh, this control that he has over human beings, Christ is able to come and release human beings from his control. Now we know that God's kingdom has come upon the earth, that this, this region, this king called the devil, he's, he's lost his power. And so they need to consider this very, very carefully about who he's doing the, who's doing this. So he says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And you'll remember in Exodus when the magician said to Pharaoh, this power, this is the finger of God. And you remember the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. The finger of, uh, of God wrote the prophecy in, uh, in Daniel. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So they need to think, they need to consider this, that the finger, the finger of God acts in the earth, but Satan's children resist it. And so if Christ is casting out demons with the finger of God, whose side are they on? And very clearly, they're an extension of the devil's kingdom. When a strong man, this is Satan, fully armed guards his own palace. That's what a strong man would do, fully armed. His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him, and again, remember Luke 4, when, when Satan just pulled out all the stops and threw all his might at Christ, and Christ overcame him. Christ is the stronger one. When a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him 
all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So Christ is the stronger one and the kingdom of God has now come upon us. And for the last 2,000 years, it's been in motion. It's been in motion. People have no idea what's going on in the earth. Uh, these uh, we're, we're faced right now with the cultural Marxists and the Islamists as the greatest danger to mankind today. And both of these people think they're, they're doing well and they're, growing, they're gaining power. And they don't realize their kingdoms have already been defeated. Christ has already won. And for the past 2,000 years, we're, just, we're recruiting more and more laborers. We're, we're, we're building Christ's character. We're building God's kingdom. And very soon now, it's about to come upon the earth when Christ returns. And I, I just quoted here Luke 4 when we saw that uh, Christ just vanquished the devil in Luke 4. And he says, you know, get behind me, Satan, in verse 8 here. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Continuing in Luke. Now he says, so he makes it very clear, there are two sides here. There are, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan is ruling everybody. The Messiah has come to release the children of Israel from Satan's kingdom. And there, there's a division. And now he's making it very clear, you need to decide whose side you are on. And he's also made it clear, he is the stronger man. He has, come, he has come to crush the devil, not in the way that they think. And when we just uh, rehearse the Passover, rehearsing his death every year till he comes, uh, so we understand how he, how he conquers the devil. But he says here, He who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So Christ is gathering. He is gathering uh, the children of Israel. And he's, he's like the hen that, that's gathering the chicks. And if you're not with him, then you're scattering, which is what the devil does. The, the devil tries to strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. The good shepherd gathers the sheep. And so whoever is not with Christ is with the devil. And now he goes on to make this statement. So he talks about an unclean spirit. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so remember he just exercised a man. And so he's actually talking about this man, I believe. So this has just been done in front of all of them, but many exorcisms have happened. But this one has just happened. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, probably in the deserts, in the wilderness. Remember, Christ went into the wilderness for 40 days, seeking rest. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house, that's the human being, from which I came. Hmm. So he was inhabiting, so human beings that we interact with, there can be demons inside them. And they, they can be exercised, so they leave. But when they find no rest, they want to come back to that place that they, they found shelter. And when he comes, so, so because of this exorcism that Christ just performed, he says, when he comes back to the man, he says, I'll return to the house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. So now it's swept and put in order. Then he goes, so now that he sees this opportunity, it's, it's completely vacant. And in fact, it's, it's, it's clean and orderly. 
Now he does. Now he really wants to camp out. Now he's not moving. Then he goes, and he finds takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So he wants to do them a favor. He's like, look, guys, I found a great place. Uh, you owe me one. Come on, let's go. Uh, he finds seven spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, if I were the man that was mute and couldn't speak and had a demon, and then I was just healed, and then all of this controversy took place, and then Christ makes this statement, I would be terrified. I would be like, Lord, Lord, are you speaking of me? Is this what the demons are going to do to me? Because he's just said, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not with me gathering, you're against me scattering. And if you're against me scattering, you're a tool of the devil. You're a puppet for the devil. You're prey to the devil. And so this man who was just exercised needs to make a commitment to Christ. They're, they're asking for a sign. They're testing him. They're not believing him. And Christ is saying, you better believe me. And, and he says that, you know, it's very interesting here. There was one demon. This man will end up with eight. And the, the seven more that come are more wicked than the first. So you can see these demons have different personalities. They have different levels of character, different levels of evil. They're, they're individuals. And, and each one, as they possess them, they have different attributes, different desires, different capabilities. And so he finds seven that are even more wicked and inhabit the man. Now, in Luke, think, speaking of this plurality of, of d- demon possession, in Luke, he says, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And I want to say that the Quran, when Allah speaks... He says, we and us. Very interesting that, you know, Muhammad, when he was first given this Quran, he was convinced, rightly so, that he had encountered a demonic force. And that demonic force entered him. And then it always said, we and us. Well, now we see clearly from the scriptures, multiple demons can possess a man. And this, this man, unfortunately, Muhammad, had terrible sexual uh, addictions, uh, causing him to perform all kinds of strange sex acts. Well, this is what happens when these forces take advantage of one. And, and I, you know, Muhammad could have been very sincere. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't know how to tell whether or not this is a clean spirit or an unclean spirit. But Christ said, by their fruits you shall know them. And, and show me anywhere in the world where Islam is, where there's happiness and joy. You know, the Saudi Arabia is the birthplace. We don't see Muslims all over the world saying, we've got to get to Saudi Arabia. We must go to our Islamic paradise. No, everywhere it goes, it just brings unhappiness. Christ says, by their fruit, you shall know them. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, "We stand up when you can. You have a moral obligation to stand up when you can. People are deceived. And ideas possess people and take them over. And that's what, that's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn is saying, how evil men become when ideas possess them. And if you can cut that off before it's too late, that's our obligation as people who understand the truth. So he says here, uh, he was casting out a demon, it was mute, we went on. Uh, so so that's, uh, we see here that um, this man has to make a decision. Is he going to scatter or is he going to gather? It happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you 
and the breasts which nurse you. But he said, so she's speaking of Mary, and she's saying, what a blessed woman Mary must be to have given birth to you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So Christ clearly had a vision of the kingdom, and uh, even Mary has to make a decision. Is she going to gather, or is she going to scatter? Because the prophecy even told her that even her heart would be judged. And Christ is saying clearly, even Mary as a human being has to make the decision. But those who do make the decision to gather with him, we are truly the blessed ones. And while the crowds were thickly gathered, so Christ is not looking for flattery. He's looking for obedience. Why call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? So, oh, yes, he's our Lord. We need to do what he says. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this, so, so they're all there, gathered together, and he's saying to them, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. They're skeptical. They, they can see very clearly who he is and what he's doing and the prophecies that he's fulfilling, but they, they choose not to believe. They don't want to believe because if they believe, they have to do what he says. And that's, that's why we have atheists. That's why we have all these different uh, people who, when they, when they encounter the truth, uh, they, they dust it off. They don't want anything to do with it. Because it's not just that it's an intellectual abstract idea. Oh, yeah, that seems true. It's, yeah, two plus two equals four. It's, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, Lord means we have to obey him. And people don't want to obey him. They look at the commandments and they think they're onerous. And so that's why they come up with all these intellectual excuses why they can't be faithful to Christ. And so this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so here he's saying to them that the only sign they will have is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so he went to these people and he preached to them, and then they actually accepted his ministry and repented. So also the Son of Man will be to this generation. So Jonah was in the, the, the whale of this, uh, or the, the belly of this whale, or this giant fish, and, and he was there for three days and three nights, and I, I believe he was dead. And then he was resurrected from this grave. And in the same way, Christ would go into the, the, the earth for three days and three nights and be resurrected. And that's the only sign that they will get. The queen of the south... So the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. So these Israelites will be condemned by the queen of the south. She was a Gentile, and she came from the and the Ninevites were Gentiles, and they repented. The queen of the south was a Gentile. She came all the way from the, the south. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So she listened to Solomon, and she was a Gentile. Here is somebody greater than Solomon speaking to Israelites, and they won't listen. The men of Nineveh, who were Gentiles, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. These Israelites will be condemned. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Now he says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a bushel. And we actually came across this before when he was speaking specifically of his disciples. 
to say that we, as his disciples, are, are this lamp, and we're going to be set on a hill. These are the lambs that are, that are sent among wolves. We can't hide. And a lot of us, when we look at the fangs and the, the, the claws of the wolves, uh, we want to hide. And Christ, Christ is saying, the Father doesn't want us to hide. He wants us front and center. He wants us out there. Now, now though, he's speaking of his word. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. We have to give everyone the opportunity to see the light. We're not, we, we can't put it in a lampstand. So here he says that they may see the light. So, so God's intent is that everybody sees the light. They may not obey it, but everybody needs to hear this witness. Everybody needs to hear it. The lamp of the body is the eye. Now, this has everything to do with the days of unleavened bread that we are observing now and getting the leaven out of our lives. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. So our eye is what we pay attention to. And if we are paying attention to sinfulness and we're we're getting gratification from sinfulness, then we are allowing Satan's darkness to overtake our body. But if our eye, our attention is focused on the goodness of God, we, we are dwelling on what is good and what is right and what is pure and what is true, then our whole body will be light. And so we have to, this, this is really getting the leaven out of our lives and focusing on what is unleavened, this pure and simple truth, and, and just being engulfed by it, being, being completely consumed by it, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. When we have this, our whole body is full of light, and we become fearless, and God can then put us on a lampstand to give light to the whole world and anybody who will hear But if our eye is evil, then there's darkness in us and we will be exposed and God cannot use us. And the people here who are looking for a sign, they are evil people. He knows them and the things that they pay attention to are evil. And that's why they're resisting Christ. They're not embracing him. They're They're making excuses why they can't embrace him. So he says here, therefore... Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. What what a tragic state we are in if the light that is in us is actually darkness. That that means we're hypocrites. That, you know, we're saying one thing, we're dressing up nicely, we say all the right words, we, we look the part and we sound the part, but we have a secret life. This is, this is really, really dangerous. And this is, this is what we must avoid. And uh, Christ actually says here uh, that, that, Things that are in secret, he will actually bring out. So here he says, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. As when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So, so again, he wants to put us on a lampstand. But if we are not cooperating, if our eye is evil, if we're full of leaven, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump, so we're not serious about getting the leaven out of our lives, then we're going to be full of darkness. 
And he, as, and as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed his hands before dinner. So, or had first not washed before dinner. So that was their custom. They had a certain way of washing before they eat, a ceremonial way of washing before they eat. And, and they didn't do this. Or Christ didn't do it. And he was shocked. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, this is tremendous conflict. And it is so clear there are two kingdoms in, at play here. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. And these religious people, these Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and the scribes, everyone is looking up to them as the religious leaders. Christ is exposing them as extensions of the devil. They are as much of an extension of the devil as the Roman Empire. And, and these are our religious leaders. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. If your eye is evil, the whole body is evil. So these Pharisees are into things. Remember we saw where he says, you know, this prostitute came in and he said if he knew what kind of woman she was, he he wouldn't be fellowshipping with her. Well, it, it makes it sound like this Pharisee knew very well, intimately well, what kind of woman this was. These are evil, hypocritical people. And so dressed up nicely. And we can't be fooled by religious paraphernalia. People have long beards and hats and, and robes and beads and, and, and they have the right words or they sound very religious. They're human without the Holy Spirit. It means they're full of wickedness and we're not fooled. We're not fooled. We understand our own wickedness and how hard we have to work and how hard we have to pray and how we have to fast in order to receive the Holy Spirit and how it takes decades for our minds to actually change and be reprogrammed so that things that are wicked, we don't desire those things. And the righteousness of God, we actually hunger and thirst. We see ourselves, the process that it takes. And so somebody dressing up religiously and talking religiously, I'm sorry, we're not buying it. We're not buying it. You're full of evil. You're, you're, you're totalitarian people who th- hunger and thirst for slaughter. You want to destroy men's lives. You want to control them. You want to control every aspect of their lives and only bring unhappiness because Satan is your father. We're not fooled. So he says here, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. So actually have a heart for people. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking for people to actually care for people. When Christ came and he saw people suffering, he relieved that suffering. Show me where Muhammad ever relieved somebody of suffering. Show me where a Marxist ever relieved somebody of suffering. So we see this, this collusion between Islam and, 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 and the Marxists. Is it for good? Are they here to help us? We, we, you know, Aldous Huxley warned us that the left is going to come at us with pleasure. They're going to try to convince us that, that it, it's, uh, it's in our interest to, to follow them and, and give us all the entertainment we can muster. And we'll go along. We'll give up our freedom. But then um, Orwell warned us they're going to come with absolute dictatorial control. And we're seeing both. We're seeing both. And we're not fooled. 
So he says here, and again, I offer you, I'm going to offer you this uh, searching for patient zero so you can understand cultural Marxism and this collusion between the left and Islam and, and how we are losing our freedom. And, and, you know, we may not suffer, but our children and our grandchildren will certainly suffer. And they're going to ask us, what did we do? And why didn't we stand up? I always ask myself when I study history, how did people allow Hitler to gain so much control? Why didn't they stand up? Now I understand very clearly. When, when there's trouble, people put their head down, hoping that they don't get involved and that they don't have to be inconvenienced because they don't care about others. If we truly have a heart for others, we'll stand up for them. And so here he said, give alms, care for people. Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. So you're just into the appearance of righteousness. And again, you know, Islam is the same thing. You pray five times a day. You're careful with your zakat. Uh, you, you talk a good game, but you don't care about people and you don't love people and you don't really truly love God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue. You're driven by ego and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, um, excuse me, uh, teacher, by saying these things, um, you might not realize it, but you're reproaching us also, us lawyers. I mean, the Pharisees, okay, fine if you want to put them down, but the way you're talking, you're, you're actually putting us lawyers down as well. And he said to them, Woe to you also, lawyers. Christ is not pulling any punches. And people think Christianity is this some sort of mamby-pamby, softy-tofty, you know, let's just put on our pajamas and skip through the meadows. That's not Christ. Christ took on evil head on. And he says, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. You must speak the truth to power. That's what Christians do. We speak truth to power because we have the truth. And woe unto us if we, we preach not the gospel. Yeah, you know, you reproach us also. Yeah, woe unto you also. You're cursed also. For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So these are the fat cats. The, you know, the dog wants to pass. It wants to get through and go to the other side, and the cat won't allow it. But the cat itself, it doesn't want to go anywhere. <laughs> this is woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. So you have this outward appearance, but you're actually of the spirit of your fathers, and you actually kill the people that God sends. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also has said, I send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. I send lambs among the wolves. And this is what the wolves do. That the blood of all the prophets, which, has shed, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel, all the way to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between, and everybody in between, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. This generation is setting itself up for the worst of condemnation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you did not enter in yourselves. You're the fat cats just sitting there, but you've taken away the key, the passage, and you won't go in. And those who were entering in, you hindered. 
And he said these things to them, and as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. They just hated this. How dare he embarrass them and expose them this way? They're full of darkness. They're full of hypocrisy. And they began to cross-examine him. They're trying to discredit him now about many things. They, they, they need to put him down because if he's credible, then they are evil. So they need to show that he's not credible. In fact, he's the one who's evil. So then they can be credible and they can be seen as right. They can hold on to the perception, the perception that they're, they're righteous. And they began to cross-examine cross him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they may accuse him. So they really want to discredit him and get rid of him. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. So this is something's really going on here. And everybody's just clamoring to find out what is Christ saying? What's going on? You know, this conflict between the, the, the religious leaders and Christ. So when all this multitude is gathered, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, so this is now the inner circle. This is us by extension. We are his disciples. We need to listen to this carefully, especially during the days of unleavened bread. This is so poignant. This is so wonderful that we're here during the days of unleavened bread. And we'll finish with this passage. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are leavened. And we need to beware of it. And we just saw it. They have this appearance of religiosity. But inside, they're full of evil. Their, their leaven is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. And this is really our message to our cultural Marxists, our Muslims, atheists, everybody. All human beings need to know Jesus Christ is returning and your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy will be exposed. And what we're doing during these days of unleavened bread is we are examining ourselves and we're looking at our hypocrisy and we're looking at our idolatry. And we're getting rid of it. We're de-leavening our lives. And we're putting Christ in the center of our lives. And we are submitting to him and submitting to the Father. And realizing that we need to be true. What you see is what you get. We need to wash the inside of the cup, not just the outside. In fact, start on the inside. And then if our, if our eye is light, our whole body will be light. So we focus our attention on the things that are righteous, and we take it away from the things that are unrighteous. Meanwhile, the Pharisees and people like them will continue to put on religiosity and, and wash themselves on the outside and put on a pretty appearance, and inside they are full of evil, and we are not fooled. We, we, we're not fooled because we're evil too, and without the Holy Spirit, we're just the same as everybody else. But we don't demonize them. Because we pray for God to forgive us as we forgive those indebted to us. We don't demonize. Unlike the Quran, which demonizes anybody who doesn't accept Muhammad. Once you demonize, and we saw Hitler demonize the Jews. We saw the communists demonize the non-persons. Once you can demonize human beings, Satan can have his way with them. Human beings made in the image of God can be abused in any which way we want. Because we've dehumanized them. We can't do this. We need to realize we're evil like everybody else. We are sons of Adam. 
And so we now have to examine ourselves. And that's what these days of unleavened bread are all about. And I realize not everybody that might be listening to me is in the, is in the church of God. If you don't understand what the Days of Unleavened Bread are, uh, please write to info at cgi.org and ask for information on God's holy days. So here he says, Therefore, whatever we've spoken in the dark, it's going to be broadcast into the light. And what we've spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, he's calling us his friends, we're, we're his disciples. Uh, this is what he's saying to us. Listen to this. During these Days of Unleavened Bread, Who is your God? Are you your God? Because if you are your God, you will be fearful. If I am my own God, I have to put myself first and I will be fearful. If Christ is my God and he is first, then I'm just going to obey him and I'm not going to be fearful. So this is why we must fast and pray and, and set our minds straight and our, set our eyes on, on the righteousness of God. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, there's no more they can do. I'm sending you forth as lambs among wolves. Preach this gospel and pray that God will send more laborers into the harvest. But when you do that, here's how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit so that God's name can be hallowed in Israel and that's a, I can go into that more in another time but here he says don't be afraid because all they can do these wolves is kill the body and after that there's no more they can do I saw the souls of those who were beheaded and they were sitting on thrones because all they could do is kill the body but I will show you whom you should fear fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell, cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Don't fear human beings. Stalin is dead and gone. He'll, he'll face Christ in the resurrection. Muhammad is dead and gone. He'll face Christ in the resurrection. All Hitler, all these Mao, all these people are dead and gone. And all the people around us today, all of us, are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And we need to fear him. Judge God, the Father has given judgment to the Son. And the Son will judge everyone. And we need to fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. If a son asks for a fish, will a father give him a serpent? So don't be afraid. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head, you're so precious... The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more, let me reassure you, you are of more value than many sparrows. You are very, very valuable. Do not fear them. Yes, yes, the, the serpent is there, but do not fear. Yes, the serpent is there. Do not fear them. We know exactly what, how this all ends. He says here, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. God wants to put a lamp on a lampstand and broadcast light to the world. So we confess that Jesus is the Christ. But he who denies me before men, so the men are not going to be happy with this. The, the, the gospel of Christ is liberating. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. 
But the totalitarians don't want mankind to be free. So when we say that Christ is God, Christ is Messiah, this is upsetting to them. And they want to stamp this out. They're going to tell us, do not preach this word. So you who, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the, the Son of God, it will be forgiven him. But he who speaks blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So what a great place for us to end and what a great scripture for us to consider during these days of unleavened bread. This is the time that every single day we examine ourselves and we, we root out the wickedness that lies within us. We're, we're washing the inside of the cup, whereas everybody else is focused on the outside. But we understand how important it is to have the righteousness of God within us so that our eye is light and our whole body is light and God can put us on a lampstand and declare this gospel message to everyone. Unlike those who are up to all kinds of evil secretly, it's going to be exposed. So what a wonderful place for us to stop. Uh, again, I'm going to offer you to uh, ask you, request you to listen to, if you don't understand cultural Marxism, what's going on in our society today, um, listen to this sermon called Searching for Patient Zero. And I'll put that in the chat. I'll head over to the chat now. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. Have a wonderful rest of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as you uh, celebrate this feast, it's not just about getting the leaven out. It's also about every day eating the unleavened bread so that we can understand we have to get the unleavened righteousness of God inside us. God bless you. Jesus Christ is Lord and King, and the kingdom of God has come upon us.